Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Alicia Young, Trends Manager for the APAC region here at Mintel, and I'm based in Sydney. Today, I want to tackle a topic that is rather close to my heart, consumer trends. Probably most of our episodes look at consumer trends to some degree, of course. We are the experts in what consumers want and why, after all. But for this episode, I want to take you behind the veil a bit. And rather than look at what we're predicting for the coming years or what the trends are going to be and and what you should be looking out for, I want to take a step back and dissect the why of trends. What's the value of understanding consumer trends? How do we at Mintel identify new trends? And what even actually is a trend? Joining me to explore the role and purpose of trends is Matthew Crabb in Kuala Lumpur, Dana Mackey in Chicago, and Simon Moriarty in London. Um, could you just go around and introduce yourselves? Hi, yes, I'm Matthew Crabb. I'm the Direct Trends in Asia Pacific. I've been with Bintel for 10 years. Hi, I'm Dana Mackey. I'm the Director of Trends in the Americas, and I've been here for about seven years. And I'm Simon Moriarty, Director of Trends for the EMEA region, and I've been here as of the end of March, 15 years. Oh, okay, cool. So you win. <laughs> Started off boldly like a competition there. I love it. Um, welcome, guys. So we've got really, I guess, the, the creme de la creme of consumer trend analysis here on the podcast today. So I guess if anyone can shed some light on what a trend is, I'm really hoping that it is you guys. So let's start at the start then. Um, how do we at Mintel define a trend? So I know how we define it at, at Mintel, but I'm curious to hear what Matthew and Simon think of this. I'm actually relatively new to the trends team. So this is going to be an education for me as well. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Mintel defines a, a trend as a pattern of consumer behavior, which is a very, very broad definition of a trend. And I think my only maybe finer tip on that would be attitudes and behavior, because I think we also monitor kind of the attitudes beyond just their behavior. But I'm curious if Matthew and Simon, with your, you have greater experience on trends, if you found like another way to define them for yourselves. So I always talk about it, particularly when I'm talking to clients about the changing consumer landscape, because that's giving it the positioning of a kind of movement forwards. So for me, it's, a trend is a piece of content from a Mintel point of view. A trend, definition of a trend outside of Mintel is just the general movement of something and how that changes over time. So kind of bringing those two things together from a kind of literal point of view, we've got these pieces of content that we call trends and we develop them over time and they change and they, they, they're fluid and they have different implications at different points. But taking a step back and thinking about kind of consumer trends, I always think about it from a as you said, the consumer behavior and attitudes position of what are the things on that kind of journey forward that will impact those behaviors and those, and those attitudes? Um, well, I'm in total agreement, of course, with uh, my esteemed colleagues. Um, I suppose the way I look at it <coughs> is, um, I mean, the, you know, the dictionary definition of a trend, if you've ever looked it up, is, is just change in behavior. Um, so I think that's a, a sort of a narrow uh, definition. I, I agree with Dana that it's more than just behavior. It's also attitudes and it's human behavior and attitudes that we're looking at. And particularly um, how that expresses differently or the same globally. So a trend isn't just necessarily restricted to a particular region or group of people. 
it's it's more of a sort of general human shift so this in a way sense uh, checks the difference between what a trend is and what a fad is a fad can be localized it can be short term whereas a trend is much more significant it's uh, it's, it's on more of a human scale globally uh, it's also um, a longer term shift a significant shift in the way people behave and the way they think i think that's the most like challenging part when i tell people that i work in consumer trends they kind of look me over like, are you sure? Because I'm not, uh, I'm using air quotes, a trendy person. And so I think the word trendy has really thrown us off because I think that that is leaning into that fad. And so I think kind of defining that for our clients is really important. Like, well, we're not talking about, you know, spikes in novelty, but we're talking about longer term changes um, of consumer motivations but we do get that question a lot between fads and trends. Uh, Matthew, I'm glad you said something about locality or, or regionally specific, because even as I was prepping for this call, I was thinking about the difference between fads and trends. And I couldn't, because I have such a U.S. perspective, I couldn't think, I, I'm like, I don't even know if Matthew and Simon, when I'm thinking about examples of fads, have heard of these things. I was like, do they, we probably have entirely different like fad culture, even though we're, you know, similar in age, but because we're from different regions. So I think there is that like regional specificity maybe in a fad, but I would love if someone could challenge me on that, I would love to hear about fads that are more global because I couldn't think of any. Well, I think for me, think about trends and fads. A fad can be part of a trend, but a trend can't be part of a fad. Yeah. Is it the difference between a ship and a boat? You can fit a boat in a ship, but you can't fit a ship in a boat, or the other way around. Um, and yeah, I think fads are much... They're important to consider because they do kind of... They do show patterns within a specific market, whether it's fashion or automotive or beauty, where there's a sudden... Uh, kind of emphasis on a particular style or a particular color or a particular brand or a particular way of interacting with consumers from a brand point of view, but then that disappears. But what it represents from a trend point of view, and I think from our point of view, looking at consumer behavior is why has that fad appeared? What's What's been the journey to that point? So mm. where, where has the tipping point come where a brand has realized, okay, we need to release this type of campaign or this type of product, knowing that it won't be a long-term part of their strategy. So, I mean, there was a, a fad in the UK, which may have kind of impacted on other markets a couple of years ago with the beauty brand Lush. Um, and there was a kind of people shaving their bath bombs and soaps and um, filming. Yep, that made it yeah. here too, yep. And filming that <laughs> and sharing it online as a kind of ASMR type thing. And actually, I spoke to Lush around the time that that fad kind of disappeared. And they, their opinion was, if we had known that that was going to happen, we would have monetized it. We would have benefited from it. But we had no, we had no impact on that fad. So that was purely consumers doing it. And so then the trend wasn't about, you know, the trend isn't that people like shaving bath bombs. That's not a trend. that We would never go in front of our clients and say, well, you work in the financial service industry. The big trend at the moment is shaving bath bombs. Here are the implications for financial services but the trend was that well there was a number of trends kind of coalescing i guess like 
people making and sharing their own content, people uh, doing things that were fun and pleasurable in their own home that were surprising, people getting sensory experience from, you know, non-traditional kind of products. Uh, and that kind of trend towards being part of a community. Um, so I, I guess the other thing to just finish my sort of opinion about fads and trends is fads are maybe less easy to predict because trends are much bigger. You, we yes. can and we do predict mm. where we think that trend will go. But understanding that fads could come in and shift the direction of that trend because trends have a much longer life cycle. And we, from from our point of view, from what we do, is we predict how that will change over 12 months, 18 months to two years, five years and beyond. We wouldn't necessarily be able to identify a specific fad at any of those points, but we know how a fad represents certain elements of consumer behavior and how that would shift that specific trend. So do you think sometimes then that fads are almost manifestations of trends or they're an, they're an expression of a yeah, trend. Yeah. yeah and i guess what we consider to be an observation right so yeah. the way that we write them up or the way that we work with our trends platform is that we write up all of our different observations all the things that we see out in the world bringing exactly. those all together and seeing how if we go back to the lush example for yeah for example obviously shaving bath bombs in and of itself maybe not every single consumer is doing that but ASMR has been a thing for a little while, that need for relaxation. And if I guess brands understand that from the start, then they can maybe can't get ahead. You can't get ahead of shaving soap, obviously, exactly. but maybe you can get out there and do it for yourself first. <laughs> but you can, that you, you can like, there, there is a little bit of the predictive nature of those underlying desires. Like that's, that's why it's important to help our clients and really ourselves like underpin the fads with the trends, because then you can get a little bit ahead of it. If you know the reason why consumers are doing something, you can, you know, create a campaign that capitalizes on that or, um, you know, recognizes that for your consumers and maybe start a fad that takes off, though it's very hard to do. Well, the example that I've used a lot recently is Pokemon Go. And the reason I've used that is because Pokemon Go was a game, obviously everybody knows about it, that uses augmented reality as part of the game. But it wasn't just Pokemon Go. Go Pokemon Go was an expression of various different things. First of all, is the, the, the availability of the technology, the improvement in, in smartphones, um, creating the ability to have augmented reality on your phone. But it was also the fact that people wanted to have something um, that was bringing them together, that it was a game because gaming was getting much bigger uh, and spreading into the mainstream. And we're now seeing esports taking off and all that sort of thing. It was also um, you know, related to people's consumption the consumption patterns of of uh, not just products but also commercial spaces you know people i remember in kl here in malaysia you know going around shopping malls and people were wandering around the only thing they bought was a bottle of water but they were wandering around in the shopping center looking for these these pokemon um so it changed their behavior in terms of how they were consuming how they were interacting with each other how they were using technology so in that sense pokemon go was a very good expression of how a fad was was picking up on particular, actually more than one trend, um, and it was a combination of different trends that were coming together there. I was I a big one, fan of Pokemon Go. Oh, sorry, I, ju I just had to weigh in because I love Pokemon Go, and I'm glad we're shifting directions to <laughs> talk mainly about that for the rest of this conversation. Just favorite games in general, go for it. I was just going to say, um, 
I think one key difference between fads and trends is that just again my opinion of this I may be uh, challenged um, is that people consciously adopt fads and trends can be much more either subconscious or external factors that people have no control over so you would you consciously choose to play Pokemon Go you consciously choose to dress like characters from Peaky Blinders because that's the the fad in fashion uh, every couple of years when it comes back around but those expressions are deliberate, whether it's because people generally have a passion for that specific thing or whether they feel pressure from, you know, social norms or peer pressure or whatever it might be, or they feel like that's the right thing to do. Everyone else is doing it. The bigger trends that sit above that. And so, for example, you dress up like in a certain way based on a, a cultural movement that's come out of a TV show. The bigger trend about identity and community or the two trends, identity and community, as an individual consumer, you may not have that much control over those trends. You may not have that much control over how your community shifts or you can obviously have a lot of control over your identity, but how that fits into a, a, a broader community, you, you don't have as much control over consciously dis- deciding you're going to buy a flat cap and a waistcoat and, and dress in a certain way. I think that's very true, Simon, and I actually hadn't thought about that before. It's really interesting but I do think it depends on where you are on that adoption curve. I think yeah. that's much more true for, you know, an early adopter is making those choices. A laggard like me might be being swept up in mm-hmm. a trend because I just am like kind of going with the flow of what's happening around me. But those early adopters, I think, really are shaping consciously maybe some of our trends. I don't know. Absolutely. I think this is this comes down to our individual environments, I think, and, and our environments are shaped by where we live, uh, our communities, as Simon's already mentioned, and our, our environments are in, uh, influenced by many different things, the people around us, the economic state of the, the place that we're living in, uh, the technological developments, uh, the level of liberty, all of these different things, the, the, the press and so on. Um, so, you know, how, how influential our influences in a particular country will have an, an impact on that general environment, which is why in terms of looking at the trends, we have to sort of look more broadly and, and understand where people are living and what circumstances they're living in and what are the things that are affecting them. So, for example, at the moment, you know, a lot of uh, markets are looking at inflation as an issue and people thinking more about what they spend on. So that's uh, affecting the way they behave and perhaps how they adopt different trends because of need. I think that's almost the hardest part of this job is balancing the global environment and the regional environment because we do, trends do, they matter across global markets, but they all are like a little bit slightly different or the evolution or the trajectory of each trend is a little bit different depending on where you are. And and creating content that expresses both of those things, I find very challenging. This is actually a question that we get from clients a lot, is how can a trend apply across age groups or across all markets equally? And, and in fact, does it? Um, Simon, what do you think? Uh, I think the short answer is no. Trends don't apply equally to everyone all the time uh, because they shift and they change and they're fluid and people have different needs at different points and different internal and external factors that that influence them and influence their decision-making, it would be impossible for a trend to be equally relevant or equally important to every single person globally. Um, 
we can we recognize and we we you know analyze global shifts in behavior and we pull out patterns and we can make assumptions that there are some trends that do have much more of an impact at that kind of broader level but the implications of that trend for people within the different socioeconomic groups demographic groups geographical areas are completely different and as dana said previously you know thinking about fads and the the sort of manifestation of trends they are massively different from not just region to region but regions within countries age groups within the communities that live within those regions that live within those countries the the implications and the manifestation of those trends are, are massively different and have are massively important and i think that the good thing about what we do is that we recognize that we have a set of global trends that we know are different across all of those different categories and different demographic groups and different regional markets if we try and force a trend to be equally applicable to every consumer it, it wouldn't be a trend it would just be us saying you know this is what you should be doing and that's not the purpose of trends now, obviously we publish our own trends but they're based on external trends and behavior that we recognize we're not then saying that this is a trend that is important to everyone we're recognizing that it will have hugely different implications i think because our trends are really rooted in consumer data anyone that's looked at consumer data knows that consumers are not the same they're just very very different in the way they see the world the way they shop the categories they engage in or don't engage in and a lot of those are you can recognize their different those differences through demographics. So I think because everything is rooted in the, that consumer data, it's pretty easy to see that some trends apply to certain demographic groups for others, maybe less so. Of course, you know, when we are, we're taking our trends out to clients, we have to adapt them to our clients' particular situation. So again, it's not just the, the consumer situation we have to take into account. So if I'm talking to a company in Indonesia versus Malaysia, I'm talking to them about their market in Indonesia or Malaysia, and their market is obviously the people in each of those countries. And then the countries will have different needs, different supply chains, different pricing mechanisms, all that sort of thing. So you have to be able to adapt the trends uh, and look at a client's um, needs and understand their needs from a strategic point of view. Essentially, strategically, they want to understand what their clients uh, the customers want and and develop products to fulfill that need. Um, so where those needs are different, they need to understand uh, what those differences are in, in consumer need, not just in each market, but also, as Simon says and, and Dana mentioned, in different demographic groups. So there's no sort of one story fits all answer there. It's about sort of bringing the trends to our clients and, and talking to them about them and, and discussing the ideas around the trends that might be applicable to their particular business and their particular business strategy. That's a great point. We obviously track over 70-odd consumer trends at any given time. Um, And you're right, they're not all going to apply to every single business and not every single business can necessarily take something from it and, and use something from it and turn it into either a campaign or a new product or whatever. But I guess the way that I always talk about it to clients is that it's something that you should know about consumers, even if it's not something that you should act upon necessarily. It's a pattern of behavior that you should be aware of. Um, To that point then, why do you think it is important to understand trends? Like how how do they help the day-to-day running of a business? And why is it important to know about consumer trends as opposed to just 
food and drink or just beauty trends, you know, trends that are really specific to a category? Sorry, that's a lot of questions in one. Whoever wants to tackle that. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I learned this from my counterpart, Diana Kelter on the trends team, but she has a really good perspective on the competitive landscape and how, I mean, we have a trend about this extend my brand, about brands going into different competitive spaces and kind of leveraging their credentials in one market to enter a new category. And because of that, like understanding those underlying consumer motivations or those shifts in behaviors and attitudes, competition can come from anywhere. You could be in the pet space and face competition from someone in a completely different category. So if you're understanding those underlying motivations, it can help you kind of fend off competitors or at least understand where they might be coming from. Absolutely. I think that's the, the key point here is that it's looking outside of your own industry, your own market, and being able to see shifts mm -hmm. that are changing that could be affecting you, disruptions that could be coming that you would otherwise not see by just focusing on your own business or your own category or your own market um, and being able to see those as far ahead as possibly as you possibly can because sometimes they move really quickly, sometimes really slowly, but the, the potential is always there for rapid disruption. And it's the brands that are able to see those things coming, um, whether they're coming from other categories, other countries or whatever, uh, that can say, all right, we see them this coming. How do we react to that? How do we prepare ourselves for that coming? Um, now, it's not always easy to do because like things come from out of the blue pandemics, for example. Um, but there are sort of indicators that you can see in um, changes uh, in the consumer behavior, the uh, consumer thinking. Um, using the data that we've got, we can start to plot shifts in consumer thinking and be able to sort of quantify that and say, okay, we're seeing this shift towards, for example, sustainability with the latest data that we had uh, in September last year was quite a significant shift. So this means that you know, when we were talking before about companies need to become more aware of sustainability, now it's becoming an absolute must because consumers have really changed uh, in the, in terms of their perception of that um, that trend. And this is this is where you know you start to think, well, okay, what does that mean for my particular category? Well, it might be about sort of changing you know your energy supply or that's that sort of thing. But you could also be looking out. If you say you're a food manufacturer, you could be looking into other um, categories to see, well, what's happening in terms of packaging or ingredients? I could be taking that idea and applying it to my business. And it could be, you know, looking at um, how you're messaging um, to consumers about, for example, sustainability. And you could be taking ideas from other categories, other, uh, not even categories, you know, from, from, from um, you know, government uh, from academic uh, uh, research, that sort of thing, to be able to actually express that in terms of your brand and how you communicate with the consumers. That's so true, Matthew. And I kind of framed it as the negative, like you have to fend people off. They're coming for you. But you're right. It's so true in the positive too. You can take so much inspiration or identify so much opportunity if you can see a trend coming. For example, we have a trend called creature comfort and is about the human humanization of pets, the elevated role that pets take in the household. And I think if you weren't if you're outside of the pet category and you're not really paying attention to that, you're not seeing the opportunities. But if you're in, you know, financial services and you're seeing this growing trend, you can start thinking, should we be offering pet insurance or other financial products that speak to this like new need? And that can be a huge opportunity, but it's hard to take off those blinders and think outside of your category. And, and trends can really help you do that. Yeah. And I think 
the question was about why is it important to think about consumer trends rather than beauty trends or food and drink trends or household trends? I think, and I think Mintel itself has, has maybe taken a slightly the wrong approach in the past where we've kind of separated all of that out as if they are different entities. And it's almost like saying, well, consumer behavior doesn't affect beauty because beauty has its own set of trends. And actually what we're doing now with our 2022 trends, rather than having a set of consumer trends and then a different set of beauty or food or household trends, those experts are writing content that shows how the consumer trends impact their markets, which is kind of cuts to the, the whole reason why brands need to understand consumer trends is because they're selling products and developing products and services to consumers. If a brand, even if it's not direct to consumer, even if it's a manufacturer, if they don't want to know about why people make decisions or what behavior is important to people or what attitudes are important to people, they're effectively ignoring the end user of their product, whether that's pet insurance, whether it's bath bombs. So consumer trends, it's not for, for our clients, it's not necessarily saying you need to understand the next five years of the social isolation trend and all of the impact it will have because for you within your market, certain elements of that might be important. It'll be more important for different brands in different regions, again, going back to that point. But it's also taking a step back and thinking something like creature comfort. Yes, it has a tangible impact on a brand maybe deciding to launch a new type of product or service that targets uh, the the demand for uh, things like pet insurance or pet food or pet clothes. I don't have any pets. I'm not sure what they, what they need. Um, but it's also taking a step back and thinking, okay, so this kind of elevation of the role of the pet in the home for lots of people, why is that a trend? And it's because people crave emotional support. People are looking for different types of relationships. People are kind of overcoming their own you know, concerns about loneliness or isolation, or they want to express their identity in a certain way. All of those things are hugely important for a financial services brand outside of the fact that they might want to launch some pet insurance. If they understand how consumer attitudes have shifted and people's lifestyles are changing, more people living alone, more people looking for solutions to overcome that sense of loneliness, they can start thinking about products and services within their own kind of traditional offering they also do that. Or they could start thinking about, okay, maybe we need to talk to our customers. Can we provide support and guidance to help them deal with those kind of issues? So true, Simon. And I also think we should get you a pet. It does sound like you need a pet. Maybe a lizard. Something with <laughs> low maintenance. This, this wasn't a cry for help. You can buy a little jacket. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. no, I'm fine. So I'm people fine. can phone in with their suggestions for Simon's yes. pet. Okay, we're going to take our first caller. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm fine. So we've just released Mintel's new global consumer trends for 2022. And Matt and Simon, you both kind of touched a bit on this in your answers just now. But talk us through the process of identifying those five new trends. Was it fun? Data, great, cool. <laughs> data. <laughs> it all starts with the data. So we've got the, the global consumer research. And what we do with that, we've got questions for each of the pillars under each of the drivers globally across 36 markets now. We've added Argentina. Um, and what we, what we see, uh, what we did is, is we looked at how the, those scores for each of the pillars changed over time. Uh, and so we could see certain pillars going up, certain pillars going down. I mentioned earlier, sustainability took a, a significant upswing in September last year. So we are able to spot 
shifts in um, the consumer and their thinking and their and their behaviour. So we have the pillar questions, but we also have other questions in our uh, global consumer research, which allows us to see at the same time as shifts in the pillars and uh, drivers, but also in terms of their spending priorities, their use of technology, so on and so forth. Um, so this gives us a sort of broader picture of, of the mindset of consumers in different markets uh, globally. I would add to that as well, that once we've analysed the data, and looking at that kind of time period that we we analysed, um, and for these trends, the 2022 trends, we looked at kind of uh, an 18 month sort of time period. So looking at how attitudes and priorities were kind of pre-pandemic, then during the kind of the real sort of dark days of the pandemic for for many people, and then uh, sort of further towards the end of that process, it was as a number of markets were kind of coming out of the pandemic or things were changing for for the better. But then also. Once we'd established from a regional and global point of view what the key differences were with those attitudes and priorities towards health and protection and financial situation, technology and identity and all of those different things that make up consumers, we were then talking to the experts who work in those beauty and household and food and drink markets across Mintel and having an idea that some of those things are more important in different markets than other, which again, just helps us shape the trends and ground the trends. We know that all of our trends aren't equally applicable to every single market or category that we cover. And we'd be kind of foolish to try and crowbar every trend to be as as relevant to every single market that we cover. So by talking to the category experts and the, the, the market experts and the, the lifestyle experts and demographic experts, we know that, you know, enjoyment everywhere trend is going to have more of an impact across specific markets the climate complexity trend will at a very top level impact every market but there's only you know within specific markets certain brands will be able to do more now other brands might need to take a longer uh, sort of longer term approach and so yeah having that global expertise just really helps us develop the trends and, and showcase that they which are relevant to different markets and when and I would say as someone newer to the process and newer to the team, like we have an in-house staff of trends analysts that we rely very heavily on for their own expertise and understanding what's happening in their specific market. So being able to take this, you know, quantitative and qualitative approach, what are the numbers telling us? What do the trends analysts think about these numbers? What, do, what does it mean to them? How are they interpreting that? What are they seeing in the market through our collection of trend observations? Like all of that really plays a role in developing new trends. And Simon, to your point, yes, if we develop trends that were truly equally applicable globally and across categories, they would be so boring. It would just be like price. <laughs> Make sure you have low prices. Um, and, and I think the excitement is finding the like variability in these trends where they can apply um, in different ways and be leveraged by brands in, in unique ways throughout the year. I think you're so right. The way that trends play out. I mean, if you think of sustainability, for example, what it means to us, like myself here in Australia, is very different to what it means to Simon in London or to, you know, a consumer in the Philippines. Like it's going to play out quite differently for me. You know, it's air quality and it's bushfires and floods and all kinds of crazy things. But in the Philippines, it's very much centered around plastic and, you know, plastic production, all that kind of thing. And I think, yeah, the way that, that these bigger picture things can play out on a micro level, I think is really fascinating as well. And there's so much to kind of take from that. So I'm using this as a great 
brainstorm session for for answering client questions that I get really often. So I'm going to end on this last one. In this extremely you know fast paced and and ever changing world, um, and I know that is kind of normally a bit of a cliche, but we do live in post ish pandemic times, um, and the last years have been a bit of a bit of a roller coaster. Is there still value in understanding these macro trends, in, in, in really understanding the big picture? You know, if, if things are moving so quickly, what's the value of looking long term? I've been talking to clients a lot about what's the appropriate timeline, because our trends cover now, the first year, the next, the next two years, and then five years plus. And that five years plus timeline is really challenging and brands push back on that a lot because it is hard to if things are changing every week, how are we you know, anticipating that five-year outlook? And it is really, really challenging. But I do think because the trends are rooted in those motivations, for example, well-being, that's one of our trend drivers. If you can understand that the pandemic shifted well-being from health almost to safety, if you can understand those huge shifts, you can kind of predict at least you know, medium-term And I think that five-year-plus outlook is really about what could happen. It's not necessarily, okay, write it on your calendar. In five years from now, you're going to see this happen. It's about having stretching your brain a little bit outside of your comfort zone and anticipating what could possibly happen in five years and how can I get ahead of it. But I will say like, those are ongoing conversations with us internally and with our clients to determine how to best use each of those timeframes, because you're right. Everything is so incredibly dynamic and there are all, I mean, that the pandemic, I think really showed us, there are going to be these events that we cannot predict that disrupt everything. Um, and then we have to kind of go back to the drawing board and, and then we do. And I think it's talking about how the world is, is fast paced and things change and things are dynamic and there's a lot of uncertainty. I don't think that's any truer now than it has been in previous generations. It's just played out in a different way with the, you know, the growth of technology and connectivity. We're more aware of things than perhaps previous generations, but we're not in a period of time where necessarily more events are happening more rapidly. I think we're, we're in a, a period of time where an understanding of those events is perhaps more complex and the information about those events is shared more widely and more quickly. And obviously the development of technology means that um, we have more information about things like the impact of the climate crisis and future projections of, of that kind of thing. But the world has always been an unstable place. And uh, actually I think when I think about consumer behavior and I talk about trends to clients, there's always been a level of uncertainty. People have always wanted certain things, their attitudes and priorities aren't actually that fast paced themselves. They may be impacted by events they have no control over. So you may be forced to go into lockdown. You may be forced to leave your your home for whatever reason. You may be forced because of something that's happening with the environment to change certain ways of living. But people's priorities in terms of the things that they want out of their lives, in terms of you know health, happiness, financial security, new experiences, being part of the community, sharing those experiences, those are often just basic human traits that that won't change kind of as quickly as events change. 
So the, the pandemic is a good example and tying that into sustainability. We knew that pre-pandemic, there was a lot more awareness of the impact of different types of materials and packaging on the environment. So people were starting to change their behavior in terms of single-use plastic. Again, different levels in different countries around the world, but there was a kind of global shift where people were more aware of the negative impacts of single-use plastic and they wanted to make changes. They were looking for alternatives. The pandemic when people were shopping for food products in supermarkets, there was a heightened level of hygiene and safety. So people were purchasing, you know, fruit and vegetables that were wrapped in plastic because that had that degree of um, security that perhaps that would stave off any virus or germs that may have been shared by other people touching the, the packaging. That's not to say that people stopped caring about the environment or stopped understanding the impacts of single-use plastic on the environment. But they were forced by external factors to kind of change some behaviors, hold back on some behavioral changes, but the priority and the, the, the desire that people have to protect the planet is still there. So there's always a need to understand macro trends because they represent basic human desire and basic human needs for certain things. And then from what we do, we can understand how global events, global activities, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's environmental, whether it's a new technology coming about, whether it's a new brand entering a specific market, we know how that will impact those attitudes and priorities. And we can then predict how that will play out over the next five years and beyond. So maybe there are not more events happening more quickly now than in previous generations, but the fact Mm. that we know about them does change everything. So even if the world, the pace of the world is the same, just the fact that we have visibility into that does change. It does make everything move a little bit faster. Watching it all in real time is crazy. Right, (laughs) right. And and it, it requires that brands communicate early and often about everything, at at least right now. And I'm hoping that maybe we're at the peak of this and that will fade away because brands have so much responsibility to communicate at every, every world event requires a, you know, a brand statement and a position and a communication and an understanding. And it is a very complex time for brands. So I do think that, you know, the rise of technology and our ability to see what's happening across the world, like you said, Alicia, in real time, really has been super disruptive for brands. Yeah, I think technology has played a huge part in that. And I think it's it's that growth and that speed of of technology and connectivity has, and it has sped things up, obviously, like the speed of connection and the speed of sharing information. That's obviously much different to previous generations, previous years. And I think it's also added an, an element from a consumer point of view that the world in general is faster. But I think it's also important to think that Actually, elements of that are true. Yes, we have access to more information than ever before. We can get any product we want delivered within 15 minutes, you know, in lots of markets. That's obviously, that's a big change in terms of speed. Um, But there are other things that that haven't sped up. There are other things that that will remain the same. Um, So I think it's, that's, that's the important thing. We recognize, you know, the speed of, of, of different elements of trends, but also, those elements of trends that will remain relatively static and relatively stable because that's as important. I think that's what makes trends so important as well is that um, 
humans are humans. Their needs are pretty much the same as they always have been. Um, so technology and uh, history have caught up with this, I suppose. And, and because things uh, are changing so rapidly for us, uh, around us rather, um, but our basic human needs have stayed the same, we need more help adapting to those changes. Any kind of change mean, means you have to adapt. Now, humans haven't adapted very much in the last 100,000 years or whatever it is that we've been on this planet. Um, so we need more help. And in fact, we're looking increasingly to, to brands to help us out here, you know, to, to help us with our needs. How, how do we become more sustainable? How do we do that? Somebody please show us, you know, um, and it's not even on an issue like that. It could be, you know, dealing with a pandemic. You know, how, do I, how do I get my groceries now? I've been going, going to lockdown. But there are certain things that you can actually start to predict. So after the lockdown, a lot of con- countries' uh, economies went into either recession or slowdown. Uh, and then now we've uh, got inflation growing. These are, are not unknowns. We, we, we've dealt with these in the past. So we can start to think, well, how do we deal with those in the, in the past? Are there lessons that we could have learned from the past and apply those? Yes, it's a different situation, but there might be ways that we can actually apply those solutions from the past to the situation we're in now. So this is where you can actually start to say, okay, well, we don't know what the future is. We can't say precisely how it's going to play out, but we can look at previous situations and come up with scenarios based on that. So this is where, the, you know, ideally the, the, the marriage between uh, having data and having these trends is really powerful because we can start to say, okay, if consumers behave in this way when there's a recession or inflation and so on in the past, then in the future, they're likely to behave in very similar ways, but express that in different ways because the situation is different. So we can actually explore that. We can scenario that. We can work with our clients to talk through those kind of ideas. So this is where hopefully the real power of trends can play in. So I know we could probably do this all day, um, but I think at, at this point, probably we should wrap it up. Thank you so much to my guests, Simon, Dana and Matthew for joining me. Um, and maybe a little bit biased, but I really enjoyed this chat and really enjoyed all of your insights. Um, we should do it again sometime. Um, thank you for listening as well. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. If you'd like to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to Mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of the big ones. And check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. And of course, if you like what you hear, then please tell your friends. And we'll catch you next time for another episode of Little Conversation. Thank you.